It's September 28, 2020. This is Rook. It takes a diversity of voices to build an accurate oral history and reservatory of the Iranian diaspora in the 21st century. So in that process, we may sometimes defer naturally to the usual folks in academia or the historians or the activists or the celebrities that we've known to set the tone and tell our stories. But let's widen the lens, shall we? Today, a guy firmly ensconced in Generation Z or Gen Z, as we might say, north of the border, who is reaching a massive audience around the world with a mission to, as he puts it, show how badass Persian culture is. The innovative musician and pioneer of Persian trap music, Danny Asadi, joins us today. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Welcome to episode number 48 of Rook. Hi, Shaya. Hello, Jian John. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. You're great? Yes. I'm very good. Yeah. You know why? I, are you great because of the guests we've got coming up? Uh, Partly. I, I know why, why I'm great. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why you're great. No. I'm, I'm guessing. Why are you great? Yes, actually, I had a I had a very small gathering, uh-huh. uh, and it was for, for the first time in Corona time that uh, I I could perform. Oh, uh, on the weekend! On yes, the you weekend, did. yes, yeah. and that felt good. Yes, nice. I'm glad that it worked. It was good for you. Yes, and uh, the thing is that we have to um, uh, c- we have to get used to these Corona rules, and uh, yeah, yeah. I saw you on one of the nights performing, and you were behind a big shield. Yes, it's a, a plastic <laughs> shield, <laughs> like a boy in a bubble. You know, yeah, but but it was great. It was great to see you performing, yeah. man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for and coming. shout out to the the uh, the the place. There's a place called Beer Bistro in yes. Toronto that hosted uh, you performing there. And yes, it was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought you were going to say you're great because we've got this uh, this guest on today, who I think is uh, a future superstar if he you know if he stays focused mm-hmm. um i mean i'll talk to him about this i don't know <laughs> i feel welcome my advice but i think if if danny stays focused mm-hmm. danny Asedi, our guest today he he's gonna be you know he could be like drake i mean he can be a because what he is doing is not just innovative it's very accessible it's very catchy he's already amassed a huge audience he's you know 23 24 years old Yes. You think? yes, yes. He he has a good follower and he has a lot of followers. But as you said, he has to be focused. He has to stay focused. Yeah, because actually, especially for this genre of music, yeah. it's very easy to you know to uh, lose your focus. So, so we're gonna be like his older brothers today. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be an interview, but actually, it's an intervention. <laughs> stay focused. Now he is. I'm I'm thrilled to have him on the show. And uh, if if anybody's listening who doesn't know Danny Asadi yet, 
I recommend, I mean, hopefully the interview will go well, but stick around, listen, and uh, jump on the bandwagon now yeah. because I think uh, there's great things in store. He's just a really talented guy. Ooh, yes. um, and, you know, we've heard some of the work he's done with Airfon and Hamid Nikpay, but uh, he's just innovative and he's uh, a good dude and, and it'll be an interesting conversation, yes. I hope. Speaking of interesting conversations, if you have not had the chance to listen to our last episode of Rook, number 47, with Shah Rukh Mushkin Galam we're getting so much lovely uh, feeling about that you know yeah. I wasn't sure how people feel about Shah Rukh is such an interesting character you know and but but you know people just love the guy I it, think it's mainly because of his soul you know yeah it, it touches people yeah he's yeah. got he's all soul also maybe uh, you know go to that episode for for the interview with Shah Rukh Mushkin Galam stay for the story about my dog Ugi and the Rasu <laughs> Rasu <laughs> <laughs> the sag babu, yeah. the, 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 the rasu, the, the skunk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm so happy that afterwards I was like, man, should I have told that whole story? But we've a lot of people have been commenting yeah. on uh, and asking how Oogie is and, uh, you know, uh, how, how to apply the tomato juice onto a dog if it meets a rasu. Anyway, listen to that on whatever platform you want to catch us on. I should remind, uh, I periodically do this. I'll remind you guys out there again. Because people write in or they or they contact and say, um, have you guys thought about putting the show on Instagram? And we're like, yes, we are on Instagram. So here, whoever, whatever platform people listen to it on uh, or experience Rook on, they think that that's the only platform we're on. That's what I'm. <laughs> I'm learning. So if you watch us on YouTube and you can you can sort of watch there's graphics and some stuff on YouTube like that. Uh, be mindful that it, there it's available on SoundCloud. And if you listen to us on SoundCloud, you can find us on Telegram. And yeah. if, if you're on Telegram and you prefer Instagram, we're there and Spotify, Spotify and iTunes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Spotify audience is growing fast. I think Spotify oh, here's an interesting stat for you. I don't uh -huh. know if you're into the stats, but uh, so our audience is pr predominantly still North America, mm -hmm. Canada, and the United States. Mm -hmm. um, the number three country is Iran. So a lot of people are listening to us uh, uh, in the thousands. In um, And I guess they're listening mostly on Instagram and SoundCloud because that's where you can yeah. hi to the folks in, uh, you know, shout out to the Iranians Iran, yeah, in Iran listening yes. to us. Thank you for listening to us yes. on on SoundCloud and Instagram and maybe Spotify. No, not Spotify. iTunes. iTunes. iTunes they can yeah. Get, yeah. Because I see the countries. You know what the number four country is? Uh, <laughs> Take a guess. Um, so Canada, U.S., Iran, is Germany. Oh, Germany's number four. A few thousand people wow. have streamed our show in Germany. And then number five is also interesting because I would have thought the U.K. or somewhere, you know, but it's actually, you want to take a guess? Uh, I, I would say maybe Israel. No, no not Turkey. Israel. Not Turkey. No. Well. <laughs> Any more guesses? Uh, Australia. <laughs> yes, Australia. Oh. English-speaking country. Yeah. Yes. So Australian. And that actually, if you think about it, makes sense because there are big pockets of the diaspora in Germany, a lot of Persians in Germany, mm -hmm. a lot in Australia, yes. uh, and of course, uh, Iran. <laughs> There's apparently some Iranians in Iran. And, uh, th and then Sweden, and that makes sense as well, because yes, we've had a few yes, Swedish guests. Yes, and, and uh, yeah. But uh, again, predominantly Canada and the US, but I love seeing those folks. And so depending on where you are, I guess you listen to it 
or you experience Rook in a, in a different way. Yes. You wear Arsenal t-shirt. Yeah, I, I, I always wear it on, on game days. I'll wear, I have a few Arsenal jerseys, by the way, just so that you don't think I'm wearing the same shirt uh, every time. <laughs> Next Monday, uh, Shia, is that mm-hmm. your name? Yeah. Yes. Shy. Because <laughs> sometimes people call you Shyon, yeah. uh, which is a combination of Gion and Shia. Yeah. Uh, next Monday is episode number 50 of yes. Rook, a little bit of a milestone for us. And because of that, we have a very special guest coming on next episode, uh, or not the next episode, but next Monday on the 50th episode. Definitely one of the most well known and I'd say beloved folks in the diaspora. I can't quiz you as to who it is because I know you know who it is, but um, I'm excited to have this human. It is a human. Okay. Uh, this human. B- by, the, by the way, that's that's how much I'm going to narrow it down. By yeah, the way, yeah. By the way, I uh, I think you told me, but I don't know really. Actually, you really don't know. No, no, no. no. So you yeah, you're sort of you. L- let me explain to people. There's a team of people, amazing little team of folks who work on Rook. And we're all in the, and, and then Shia, you basically are in a little bunker with <laughs> curtains around you in a darkened room where you sit and do the editing and do the, some of the creative sounds for the show and your music and pick the music and all that. So you, you oftentimes you don't actually know what's going on, even though you're here every day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I what, that's why we love I you, would Shia. love to know yeah. who's the, the Monday's guest. Uh, you know who Monday's guest is. You really can't remember? So it's maybe one of the biggest guests we've had on the show for our 50th episode. <laughs> anyway, we're excited to have that that person, that human, that human coming up. It's not a Rasu. <laughs> it's a human. Um, let's get to our guest, yes. which we were excited about today. Uh, and um, okay, Shia, you 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 uh, line up the music and everything because I'm about to do the introduction. You ready? Yes. Okay. Yes. Let me say this: If I told you there was a young artist bringing authentic traditional Persian instruments and classical sounds into a 21st century vibe with electronic instruments and beats, a real Iruni kind of exotic fusion, you may not necessarily expect him to be a guy who was born in Dallas, Texas and grew up in a super white community in Columbus, Ohio. But indeed, the future of at least one strand of Iranian music is in the hands of the boy wonder Danny Asadi, a talented Iranian-American musician who grew up in the States with Persian parents. Danny has become massively successful online and in various platforms, performing something he calls Persian trap music. A blend of electronic beats and sonic splendor with traditional Persian instruments, all of which he plays live, and then add in some samples and loops at the same time. And well, take a listen to this. Ah, 
little taste of the sound of Danny Asadi, the Iranian-American artist, composer, producer, performer, there on Persian sitar and electronic beats all being played live. So Danny learned how to perform his music live from scratch off the machine. This is a 16-channel beat sample pad electronic box that is his little sound assistant, as opposed to simply pressing play on a traditional DJ setup and prefabricated beats. In the course of doing that, Danny has fast become huge online and one of the most coveted young musicians in electronic music with hundreds of thousands of followers across his platforms. And right now, Danny Asadi joins me from Los Angeles, California. Hello, sir. How you doing? What an amazing introduction. I, I really, really love what you do. I'm so enamored of, of what you've kind of discovered and I'm so grateful to have you on the program. Thanks for doing this. Well, that means a lot coming from you, especially, you know, being a part of this, being a part of this interview. I'm really uh, happy to be talking to you. Listen, I was thinking of a way to describe what you do. I mean, to me, you're half drummer, half electronic music producer, half traditional instrument guru. Uh, You've created the moniker Persian trap music. How do you explain it to people? That was my goal with how I wanted to name it is I just wanted it to be like exactly what it sounds like it's just persian influence on a trap sound at its core um but i think the some of the elements that you don't see in the name is that like it does have a cinematic kind of style involved it has a little bit of like it just like puts you in a world a lot of sound design you know so at its core yeah it's persian trap music but it's constantly just like turning into something bigger and better persian Melodies is something that I've always been fascinated by. Listen. The musical culture and the melodies themselves especially is um, something I've been always day after day studying and practicing to get better and better at not only creating but performing Um, not only composing but you know having the skill set to do it myself and um, yeah so that's that's the Persian aspect of it and I guess the trap aspect is like I said eclectic like somewhat of a cinematic influence um, definitely in the electronic trap category rather the hip-hop trap there's a lot of different kinds of people listening from a lot of different places in the world so for, for those who don't know what trap music is which maybe many mm-hmm. of us can you deconstruct it for us what what exactly is trap it's just uh, like an aspect of hip-hop music that's heavily influenced or it's it's it kind of started in atlanta and um or at least became big there and it's like a certain style that really involves the 808 which is a certain type of like bass sound that has a like a decay it's that boom you hear in hip-hop music right. um and a lot of other 808 sounds because basically like the company that created the the 808 machine that like creates the 808 it's called tr808 and like that was like the that machine was like the 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 start of that trap sound the atlanta trap sound some of us actually and played the original tr808 back in the 80s but exactly yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah so like that turned into um so many different styles of trap 
and it eventually kind of tapped into the electronic world where it's like now there's like two types of trap that people know of it's like the edm trap the electronic trap right or just a traditional like hip-hop trap if you know what i'm talking about so when you talk about persian trap so taking that um let's uh, that that division of electronic music and and hip-hop and then adding the persian influence was that something that came as a eureka moment for you or did you do you feel like you've been developing this over time uh kind of both like it was definitely eureka when i first heard about electronic trap when i was like 15 16 years old i was just obsessed like the sound that i was giving out the vibe the energy was so wild to me and i always thought it'd be cool if i could somehow fuse persian melodies with it and make it this like super badass dark um majestic sound um my biggest influences were um this trap producer who was huge back then named hoochie and um a, a few other like trap guys like you know the ogs like flasterdamus arl grind bauer these are all like famous electronic trap people that really brought the sound in um like i don't know if you remember like the harlem shake back then yeah the, the song yes. the harlem shake like that was like that's what it really established like everyone knew what e- electronic trap was yeah. and at that time like i was really just fascinated by it and really wanted to um fuse the two together and once i did at a, at a very basic element i did uh, what i what i did was like my parents had a box of cassettes of like old persian singers and so i went to best buy and i bought like a cassette player and i recorded some things that i wanted to sample so i sampled this guy named satar he had a song called panda hafez from yeah, this pretty well known guy yeah, yeah 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 and um i i just put you know a typical like trap rhythm under it and made a song out of it like made this like basic electronic trap thing was like the eureka moment for me like it was like 20 i think 13 i would say yeah 2012 2013 and from then on like i wanted to stick to the sound and for a while i was producing you know i was i was since i was like in middle school i i've always been trying to be a producer so i would mess around with like trying to make dance music trying to make hip-hop all sorts of things i just got to put this thing into context for people when you talk about 2013 way back then the harlem shake <laughs> you, yeah. you you you're you you started at this pretty young so even though that wasn't that long ago you were like 10 or something right or, or 12 you're talking about uh yeah when i first got like the software and was like learning about it was like when i was 13. Right. i'd say when i really started producing was when i was 14 <laughs> and um when i started doing trap when i started doing persian trap that i decided to call it persian trap and this is what i want to do like the day i decided to do that i was like 16 i'd say let let me start with you you talk about practicing and to watch you because i think a lot of people know you through your youtube videos through instagram through watching what you do which is quite fun i mean it almost seems like you go into this zone when you're performing your head is swinging you're you've got this long hair and it's flowing all over the place your eyes can be closed sometimes 
But what you are doing is actually really technically profound. Like just how quickly your fingers move would Mm. astound most drummers or piano players. How did you teach yourself to do that? I was always a musician. Like I played guitar, played piano, a few other instruments. Later in middle school, my dad came home from Iran with a with a Persian sitar. I was I was loving it. Like I I was messing around with it all the time. So like I always was a musician. When I tapped into the electronic world, the whole world of producing all these bangers and stuff, these producers were DJs, so they just DJ live. And I was so bored by that. Like I wanted I wanted my instruments. I wanted to, I wanted them on stage. Right. To a certain extent, they're and, just pressing buttons. And right. Yeah, it, it's very easy to get away with. Just that's the thing about DJing. It unfortunately has a bad rep because it's so easy to get away with sounding really good without doing anything on stage. It's not as easy to figure out if one DJ is better than the other, unless if you're like kind of into DJing. Whereas like a musician, like if you suck at piano, you'll hear a shitty piano player, you know, <laughs> Right. if right. you, if you suck at, you know, whatever instrument, but the way your I fingers, that, you know? the way, the way your fingers move on the machine, um, right. It, it's right. So it's almost like that. the way I would yeah. describe, I would describe it almost like a dumbback player. Like you're like, they're like, they're, they're quickly yeah. moving, you know? And uh, where did you learn to even do that? Yeah. So like, like, I always wanted to figure out, okay, like, how can I play this stuff like completely live? Like that, that would just be really cool. So, 15, like, my dad for my birthday spoiled me with a machine. Mm-hmm. He had, like, no idea really like what the purpose of it was but he knew i really wanted it and he got it for me you know because i hope he likes me and so i just started practicing on it and practicing on it and just like i i would i would see videos online of like some people just like kill it and i was so like cocky back then i was like Oh, I could do better than that. And, and just for people who are listening who haven't seen you perform or uh, mm-hmm. are not watching this on YouTube or something, you, you, it's it's basically a box that has little square pads on it, like a drum pad almost, and right. and you sit in front of this box and you you press the pads which trigger different sounds. That's what you're talking about triggering, right. and and your fingers move really quickly, and 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 you're so you're live. It's almost the way you would play a drum kit, but you're you're playing mm-hmm. these pads on a box correct like for someone who doesn't know much about like production or or, or just the, mu- the type of music that i play just imagine like a hip-hop kit on 16 pads and each button each pad which is like the size of like i don't know like one square inch triggers a sound from the kit so like a kick a snare a hi-hat whatever um, but you're you're and, a machine pad <laughs> virtuoso like like to get as good as no re, I mean re, you know a, a great piano player you know long long it, it has to sit in front of the piano for uh, for, for years uh, 10 hours a day or whatever and he becomes a piano virtuoso did you do correct. that with the machine did you just spend hours correct. and hours correct. and hours I've got to imagine right yeah that's that's exactly what it was. I was just obsessed. I mean, that's how I had fun. Like I'd come home from school and I'd keep 
playing on this machine. I was so obsessed. I was so interested. I, I started like loading up these like factory kits, like these pre-made kits that the company provides you when you get the machine. And I quickly started to realize like, okay, if I can create my own sounds laying down on this thing and know how to play it live, it'd be like, I'd be the first to do it and it'd be mind blowing. And I would, and, and I would, and more importantly, I'd love to do it. So like I would find, I would listen to songs like online and like listen to the rhythms of like their trap beats. Right. And I would try to comp- emulate it like live on the machine. So mm-hmm. I would load up the sounds or the closest sounds that I could find and like try to play it live. And like, that's how I would practice. So this is a perfect segue because it, I was going to say, it seems like the ultimate combination of electronic and live performance blended together. There's an Instagram post of yours where you're mm-hmm. having this drum off with a live drummer. And, and and the interesting part is that while he's playing an old school acoustic drum kit and you're on the machine, what you're doing is seemingly no less physical, very much like what a drummer would need to do. We're going to play it. Take, take a listen to this. I, yeah. lo- I, lo- I love that as a drummer. Because, first of all, your buddy's a great drummer. The, the guy who's playing the, the, the... So for people listening, the first thing you were hearing there was, the, of course, the acoustic drum kit, the, the, the live drummer, and then you're hearing Danny play live on his machine. Uh, and I love yeah. that I can almost hear you or, see, or feel you thinking of the sound choices for the next time you're going to come at him. With the, uh, so, <laughs> so tell me about this, this blending live of electronic performance and, and just what we heard there. Yeah, I mean that was my that's my friend Noah since like I was in like elementary school. Like we we've known each other for such a long time, and we kind of just like reunited recently. Um, he's a great drummer. He drums for a lot of famous like rappers and stuff. And um, we we always had this idea of doing like this battle thing, so we did that. I had a bunch of pre made kits ready, and we just freestyled it, and that's that's what turned out. It's really, it's so, yeah. really fun to watch and, and listen to <laughs> the music you make. So mm-hmm. it, it's this blend of East and West, and and you've told me before that audiences in the West think of you as this exotic Eastern guy, and audiences in the East, like in Iran, will think of you as this Western EDM guy, which must get right. confusing. Where where do you feel the truth lies? Yeah, like. <laughs> Everyone in America thinks I'm like from Iran. They're like, "Yo, so when'd you move from Iran?" I'm like, "Bro, I, I, I was born in Dallas. I grew up in Columbus." And um, a lot of people from Iran are like, uh, "When are you gonna learn Farsi?" Like, you know, stuff like that. So like, I'm in this weird, um, awkward middle where I don't feel like I don't I belong to really anyone, but kids just like me who are born in the states, but they like have strong Persian roots. Yes. You know, I, I actually I get along with kids like that the most, and and 
honestly, like, low-key, I think that's like my number one fan base. Kids just like me who just, they love that Persian sound and they're just American, you know? They love hip-hop, they love electronic music. They love all the artists that I listen to. They love festivals, you know, going to venues. But thank God I have a very strong following from, from Iran. PTM. I was always kind of afraid because you know how like music business works, you know, you got, there's so many ways you can just like market yourself. Mm -hmm. Like what kind of, you always have to ask yourself, like what kind of artist audience are you trying to market to? Mm -hmm. And like, I could very well make decisions with like promoting my music in a sense where it would most likely attract a Persian audience from Iran. And I was always hesitant on doing, I always avoided that. I always wanted to market my music and promote my music in a way where Americans or anyone else in the world, anywhere else in the world would like it. And it's not because I hate Iran or hate Iranians. It's just because my goal this entire, since I was in high school, was to show the Western world, the Americans, how badass Persian culture is <laughs> through the sound of music. Hmm. That's what I always, I always wanted to make us Persians look good in America through music. I wanted yeah. to show how yeah. amazing this music and these melodies are. How um, do the kids in Iran know that you're Iranian? I mean, just to look at your your name is Danny and you I mean you're the a super good looking, you could be like a maybe a Spanish guy if not just like a California <laughs> kid and and you don't necessarily speak Farsi in a, in a lot of your videos and stuff. So how how do they do they know you're Iranian? I think they really found out that I was Persian when I made some songs with Erfan and right. Hamanik Pei, and I started speaking a little more Farsi because, you know, I started feeling bad that like I wasn't speaking any Farsi because like all these kids were like really just freaking into my music. I mean, I, I feel like I have like a cult following in Iran. I'm sure you do. And, I, and like I love it, you know, like not that I'm of four cults, but like <laughs> I just not that I have anything against it going the other way around where I'm making Persian music sound good for my Persian following. Like, I want that, you know, I, I want that just as much. Um, but I guess there, what I'm trying to say is like, I'm in this awkward middle and I like to mean all my fans in Iran and all the people, all the musicians in Iran, you know, for once in a long time, look just like badass in America. Hey, a lot of us have been in that uh, in that awkward middle for our whole yeah. lives, and, and that's kind of what this show is about. So I, I appreciate you saying that. So take me back. Yeah. You're a guy who's born in Texas. You moved to Columbus, Ohio with your family as a kid. What was it like growing up in Columbus with Iranian parents? Oh, I, it's like so awesome because like we got our own little world. <laughs> and then, you know, like when I go to school, it's like the food I'm bringing, the the attitude I have, the the decisions I make, the things I like to do, you know, the parties that we that my family throws is like stuff that like you know, kids in my school like totally don't know about, and um, 
this is the thing like i always feel kind of awkward doing interviews because i don't have like a sob story like i'm hey that's okay if you core. don't that's like, great yeah like i'm i'm just like i grew up in a really safe like medium you're, high class you're a privileged good looking rich kid is what you're saying exactly Damn. I mean, that's exactly what i am uh, this is more, <laughs> even more reasons to hate you i mean yeah you, you know yeah. you got it all yeah i don't have like a struggling story but i mean i always had the attitude where i want to take advantage of what i got and like my parents didn't come from like they didn't really come from wealthy parents or anything from wealthy family they definitely raised me well looking back like making sure i'm not like this like compared to my to my friends that grew up with me in that in that same town like that i'm some like you know rich ass spoiled kid who doesn't know who's so out of touch with like the rest right, of the world right, and right, stuff, right. you know i went to iran for like three months and i when i was like 15 it was a huge like wake up for me to like be grateful for um the city that i live in in uh, in america so wait a second uh, and again don't by all means don't manufacture any horrible stories if you don't have any if it this is good <laughs> this is good news that you've had such a, a happy uh, experience but but so when you're a kid in the early 2000s in columbus ohio that you didn't feel any backlash to being middle eastern after 9 11 or anything like that you that you got your family okay so like all was relying on how well the kids that i was around were educated for a little bit, I was in a, a town called Powell, which was right next to Dublin. In Ohio. In Ohio. And Powell, their education system wasn't as great. Like, you know, like their history classes and their, you know, like just educating the kids. And a, a, the Powell kids were like more like redneck and like kind of racist uh, towards like blacks, like Hispanics, whites, anyone. I mean, all the white kids there were like kind of racist, like low key. So, like, when I was in that school, there was a crap ton of bullying. Like, I was bullied, like, every day. Um, and it's funny. You were, you were like, bullied every day? Like, for a little bit. Like, okay. in, in, like, late middle school and early high school. Like, And that doesn't count like, as a sob story? No, no, that's not a sob story. Well, I mean, that's, a, <laughs> you know, I don't want to be too precious about it, but that's, that's yeah. horrible that you were bullied every day. No, no, it wasn't that bad. Okay. <laughs> they weren't good at bullying. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a good attitude, yeah. man. I like this. <laughs> they no, didn't bully you well like, enough for you to be upset okay, about so it. Like, so like, <laughs> middle, like late middle school, I came back from like a spring break trip with my family, right? So like suburban family goes down to Florida. We go to the beach, whatever. We come back and I'm like super tan, like brown, okay? Mm -hmm. And everyone thought I was Mexican. So everyone was being racist towards me, like go back to the border, like all this stuff. They thought I was Mexican. And I didn't, I never told them that I was Iranian because I thought it was just really funny that they thought I was Mexican. And they were like being racist to someone who wasn't even Mexican. And then um, high school came and like they found out that I was like Middle Eastern. Right. And I remember sitting the at the only this, thing like, lunch worse table. than being Mexican to a racist. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. And and this I just remember this kid like every day, two three kids every day. Um, especially one of them just like straight up believe like I was a bad person. You know what I'm saying?
so violent, like that school. And then from there, I went to like the next year, like sophomore year, I moved back to Dublin. And it was like complete 180 because Wait everyone a was so, so that, nice. So that to me. that experience in Powell, that that didn't. Uh, how did you how did you deal with that? You're a kid. You're being told these things. Uh, uh you know, just got in fights, got really mad. You know. Uh-huh. I cry at some points, and then I, and then you know my dad. But you like, don't feel like the, the, you don't feel like the scars of that remain at all. Oh, absolutely not. Because another thing was like Noah, like the guy who was drumming with me. Mm-hmm. He has a twin brother who plays guitar, and him, me, and his twin brother were like the only kids in that town that started a band when we were in fifth grade, right. and we were still in that band in high school. And we were, and they were bullied throughout middle school. I was kind of bullied late middle school. I was bullied in high school. Like we had each other and we were so like, our heads were like huge. Like we were just like <laughs> so full of ourselves. We, we, we were like, we didn't care. Cause we were like, we're going to be rock stars anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what these guys say. And we were just like, we didn't care. We had each other. That's something that I was really grateful for. Noah and I were definitely reminiscing about that. Were, were your parents? Uh, I hope Noah's listening. He's saying a lot of nice things about him. Uh, are, <laughs> uh, were your parents very? Um, are they proud Iranians? Are they very assimilated Americans? How, how would you know that they're Iranian if you met them? I mean, what? what how? How do they self-identify? My dad really has like white skin because he's like he was born in um, Gorgon, like he was raised in Gorgon, which is like North Iran, and. Um, my mom is, was from Isfahan mm. slash Tehran mainly. And they're not, especially my dad, like you wouldn't think he's like really Middle Eastern. Like you can barely hear an accent. And compared to other Iranian parents, not that it's better or worse, but they're definitely, um, I feel like more American. I think that's, I think that's part of the, um, what may have made things a little easier for you. I mean, my, my beautiful dad, you know, who was the best, but he, he was, yeah. he had a very heavy, heavy accent and, you know, yeah. he was, I had an older dad too. So I, I remember, you know, uh, 10 years old, I'm playing hockey and all the other kids have like dads who are like 30 and white and, you know, uh, yeah. and my dad doesn't really even know what, how hockey's played and he's got this heavy accent and he, the, the, all of that w- made things difficult, you know, uh, because then you You're feel right. both bad for your dad and bad for yourself as a kid. It's like, well, why doesn't my dad speak this way? <laughs> you know, so you you, you might be, you might've, um, had a, a slightly easier experience because of that. But I, but I also think that you've got a really, uh, great attitude. I mean, you've got, I want to, I'm going to get to your confidence because this speaks to this underlying um, confidence that you have that um, knowing you a little bit uh, you've told me before about your ambitions and um, but but just sticking with the story you've mentioned a couple of times going to Iran and that how that had a profound effect upon you I guess around 2010 or something is one of your first trips to Iran so you're this this all-american kid who goes to Iran with your family uh, t- yeah. tell me about how you how you first felt when you arrived in Iran? So I've been in Iran a few times in my life. I think two times when I was really young, like four or and probably like two or something, which obviously I don't remember. Uh, and then like two more times, like almost back to back when I was 14. I already had a sitar. My dad came back from Iran 
when I was like 13 with a sitar. So when I was 14, I went back to Iran with him. I went over like a three week winter break. And he took me to some music spots. There was this um, Meidun called Baharistan, this block that's just filled with um, music equipment. So it was like this giant outdoor shopping Persian guitar center, almost. I was just like in love. I kept seeing these music technology stores and I kept seeing these Persian stores. Seeing these music technology stores, kept seeing these Persian stores. I was just obsessed with having both. Like I wanted the cool electronic music gear. I wanted the very beautiful Persian instruments that I could never find in America. So like I would drag my dad to this place like every day. I'd tell my dad, we gotta go here, we gotta go here. We always had I always had a reason that I needed to go there, but I really just wanted to go there to go mess around with the instruments. This is in Tehran? In Tehran, yeah. yeah. It's in Tehran. Made in about a song. There was a store back then, and I'm not like I don't regret saying this. So back then, like illegally downloading software wasn't a thing yet. Like <laughs> I had no idea how to do it. No one really knew how to do it. Torrenting, the idea of torrenting was like brand new, where you like legally download crack software. Uh-huh. And so, but I went to the store. I think I see. I think I had, see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. he had all this crack software, and I bought a one terabyte hard drive. I took it to him and he just filled it with all the software I wanted. <laughs> I was at like a candy shop and I was in this like black market candy shop almost. Right. So, so, so totally wait a second. So wait a second. Pretty privileged American kid goes to Iran to get, <laughs> to get all this like, software. Right, yeah. Right, right. It's a great story. Yeah. Um, because I mean, think about it. Like, my dad is not going to pay like five grand right. for his 14 year old son to get music software, not knowing if he's going to stick to it. So the roots of your okay. electronic music, not just your, you you might say, not just your, your um, classical, you know, uh, traditional Persian instruments, but, but the electronic music you can, you can trace back to Iran as well. Then in this case, <laughs> I guess so. I'm in the software. Yeah. You said that you got a sitar from your dad um, when you were, and you took lessons in in Ohio? You took sitar lessons? So, like, my dad, I don't know how he found out, but he comes home with this, like, photocopied flyer saying that, like, this guy teaches (laughs) sitar in a a town right next to Dublin called Upper Arlington. Wow. In the basement of a library for free every other Sunday. Sitar, too. Not the sitar, not the Indian sitar, but like Persian sitar. Like Persian sitar. Wow. And I show up and there's all these like adults just like with, they all have like broken sitars and they all grew their like index finger nail out because you're supposed to grow like one long finger nail. So everyone's showing up with this like one with their one long fingernail. <laughs> it's like these broken sitars, learning like basic like Persian, almost like eeny meeny miny mo type music. <laughs> and 
I'm like picking it up quickly and I'm like, all right, let's learn the next thing. Let's learn the next thing. And I'm like constantly going to these lessons and learning and learning. And I grew to have like a really good relationship with that teacher. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really do it anymore, but it was so wild that like someone who plays sitar like lived right next to me. I was so lucky to have that. I want to play a little bit of, of yeah. you playing. It's either sitar or tar. I can't remember what I've lined up here. Uh, okay. Take it. This is Danny, Danny Asadi. Take a listen to this. There, I really like that. That, I, if I were to guess, I'd say that was tar and setar. Is that what, what are you playing there? Yes. So the clip that you just heard is tar. Um, it's bigger, looks cooler, um, <laughs> has more of a banjo sound. The sitar is more minimal, smaller. It has like a um, more high frequency, like right. um, folk almost kind of sound, and it looks like a spoon. The whole song, I tried to play sitar and tar. And when I was in Iran, I learned a lot about, you know, Persian classical music and, and, and heard people play these instruments. I went to a few concerts. So, like, I would take that in, you know. I would, I would, I would have, I would keep, I would force myself to have the confidence and basically tell myself, like, there is no room to second guess that I can't incorporate this type of music. Well, that's what I want to ask you about. You know? Because when you're, because you don't just use the instruments, the setar and tar, the Persian instruments, but sometimes mm -hmm. you're adopting or appropriating the the melodies. You see, sometimes you use loops of or or samples of of, of classic uh, Persian uh, melodies and, and moments. Um, do you have you ever had any trepidation about this kind of mixture wondering if this would somehow be heretical or not accepted that for you to mix that kind of traditional melody and instrument with electronic beats with electronic sounds i just said like it's happening right i i, I assumed yeah. that was going to be your answer yeah <laughs> well, what uh, phases you you don't seem like anything phases you you're pretty. You're I mean, think about it. Like the most successful people out there are not the smartest. They're the most confident. Hmm. Like you look at, like confidence is what makes you successful. It's not intelligence. And have you always had this comes. confidence? You since you were a little uh, boy. I think when I was in Iran. I mean, everyone has their ups and downs. Right. But I think musically, I just never gave up. And the feeling of, like, true confidence isn't talking about, oh, I'm the shit or whatever, like how I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> true <laughs> no, confidence. you're not. You're not. I'm, 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 I'm asking you serious questions about confidence. You're not actually coming off as, I'm the shit. You're just, you're just coming off as a guy who knows what you want and knows what you want to do. True confidence is like the act of never giving up 
and just never giving up. Like you, you keep pushing and you keep pushing. Like you just don't stop. Like I would, you refuse to fail. Listen. I refuse to fail at learning composition as well as John Williams, for example, or to learn an instrument that I can't learn in the states, like tar, or to to produce a type to be a music producer in a city where there's no music producers at the time that I could learn from, or in or or, a, or at the time when there was no like YouTube video where you can learn even the basics of production. See, it's not just confidence. This is ambition. You're still in your early right. 20s, but you're a really ambitious guy. You've created, I mean, you basically created a genre, first of all. You're, you're right. building a major global platform for yourself. And, and if anybody's listening, kind of going, oh, yeah, this is cute what this guy does. I'm telling you, this guy... I mean, you're, you're going to become, you're going to be a mogul because, because you're doing something really interesting. It is connecting with people, but mostly because you are hardworking and you're extremely ambitious. Where does all this ambition come from? Um, dude, I don't know. Cause I don't have a sob story. Um, right. So it's not revenge. No, <laughs> it's not. It's I not, think it's not vengeance for the, the kids who bullied you badly in Powell. I was super lonely throughout high school. Mm. And you know how people say like high school, like forms you like you really become you really like find your identity and like who you are mentally, yeah, and emotionally sure. and stuff through high school. So think about this. Like I went to Iran for three weeks over the winter come back with a sitar and a terabyte with the software. I go back that summer after for three months, okay? And for three months, I stayed at my, to Iran. Wow. So my summers as a, as a kid who just wants to have fun with all his white friends and his, his bubble community is gone. Like I'm in Iran, um, no friends, no one, just around a bunch of people that I have like, I just had ne like never been around before speaking a language that like I'm not too comfortable speaking so I'm like totally alone and I, that's how I feel and then like kind of like still going through puberty and then like staying at my grandma's house who's just feeding me nonstop. I mean I just come back looking like I just I just like <laughs> stepped foot in America for the first time like 40 pounds overweight um, and I came back to a new high school. So like my first day of school when I came back wasn't the same high school. It was mm. a new high school. Mm. And everyone in that high school thought I was a freshman. And all the freshmen in the high school thought I was a senior. And it was hard, man. Like I had no friends for that almost like that entire year. It's like completely alone. Like all I had was music. All my power friends, well, you know, I wasn't talking with talking to them for a while, just because naturally, like, and, and, and you're, you're good looking. You're a musician. That didn't help. 
You didn't. You weren't popular. No, I mean, really. I was not good looking back then. I had a bull cut, a unibrow. I was like a round faced, round bodied, like cute little button, basically chubby, like you know, truffle shuffle kid, right? Okay. Um, I like this. Now, now we're getting the story. Now we're hearing the real Danny yeah. Assetti. So, okay. so my insecurity was at the all time low. And at that time, not to bash on my parents because all parents make mistakes. And this is the like, this is like a like a brush off the shoulder compared to what the amount of how much they helped me in my life. Okay, musically, um, let alone everything else. My parents weren't too supportive of me doing music full time. They love that I did music as like, okay, instead of me playing video games all day or, you know, doing nothing, essentially. They loved how like all I would do was study for school and do music. So like I would I would study for all these like honors classes, like college level classes that, that I signed up for, trying to get that those A's and make my parents proud. And they would go around telling people like, I'm an engineer. They wouldn't say like I'm a, a musician, like I'm going to be a rock star one day or whatever. Like they just say like I'm an engineer, like I'm going to be a great uh, Mohandas, great engineer. Yeah. And um, a and lot how, of my friends. How'd that make like, you feel when they would say that to people? I mean, it's just like okay, I didn't have friends. My parents weren't support. Like all I had was my music, right? So like, dude, this is that, could, could, you know what this is. That was my revenge, this is a sob know? story. You're an overweight kid with a unibrow whose parents are yeah. afraid to say who don't want to say that you're a musician. I mean, you, you don't yeah. have any friends. You're alone. You, you except for your grandmother <laughs> in Iran. I mean, come on. You could. Uh, yeah. I, I think you've got a great attitude, and so you're not. Uh, you're not looking back at this and saying you, you're looking at all the ways in which you were advantaged growing up, but but uh, yeah. but I think it's fair to say you've had some tough times as well. Of course, like it's part of being human. Like everyone goes to tough times. Um, I'm just grateful that my tough with my tough times. Like, okay, so I was I was like what I was 15 and I had all these like things about me that I was so insecure about. I was really trying to find myself, you know, still. But my, and my parents weren't really supportive, but ironically, they were supportive financially. So like I had a beautiful desk and a keyboard and an iMac and a, and all this software that they paid for, even though it was cracked, but they paid for it. And it was, you know, <laughs> they spoiled me that sense. Like I had all these instruments. I had like a little music room for myself. So so they, like so they enabled parents, it. Yeah, they helped you. Yeah, yeah, they still enabled it, right? Like, yeah. um, but that emotional thing crushed me. Like, as far as being supportive, like mentally, like I would come home, my dad would be like negatively forcing me to study for this test, and it's like, come on, man, I've been in school like eight hours today. I'm trying to make some music now, mm. and that energy that he gave me, like, you need to study, you need to study. One day. I was having a conversation with like a classmate. I wouldn't even say he was like my friend. I was like, man, all this time that we could be spending studying, imagine where we would be if we could have that studying mentality towards something that we love to do. So I would come home from school 
and work on me stressed after school because I, I have anxiety that I've been away from my desk, from my music desk all day. Come home, eat food, get on the computer and start studying musically. Studying production, studying like how to play an instrument, whatever. So that studying mentality that I was enforced by my dad, I got to give it to him. Like, like if it wasn't for him really pushing me to do something that I don't want to do and making me like toughen up and be like, you have to do this. I wouldn't really have that mentality towards music. Like I have to learn. And what do you like now? Are you quite focused? Do your days, do you, do you practice a lot or? Yes, I, I, I don't practice a lot. I, I, I've been creating a lot lately. I got to practice. I was actually having this conversation with my manager the other day. I was like, I got to practice. Like, I got to get a teacher. I need to keep going. Like, I need to do better on tar and sitar. I know I can do better. You know, I know I can do better on machine. Yeah, like, it's kind of like, that's my mentality. Like, you got to do this. And you you, um, you did, you go to university in Florida, and then now you've ended up in L.A. Can, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming you're in L.A. because it's the best place to be career-wise? Correct. I mean, just, you know, everyone's out here. Right. And um, I used to hate L.A. actually at first. I didn't like L.A., but I grew to love it. I love L.A. Um, I think I just went through the phase of just, like, realizing there's a lot of bullshit out here. And then once I grew out of that phase and I like accepted it, I started like meeting a lot of people who just are genuine and, you know, it's like a city is like the best when you got the best friends there, you know? And I think because in high school I was so isolated, like I never went to parties and stuff. I was just always by myself, like doing music and kind of felt like an outcast. Like I really am grateful for the friends I have out here because we just have a lot of fun and we're all just great musicians and it's just fun. It's just good energy that I never had in, in my town to be surrounded by this many producers and musicians that think like me, you know, make jokes like me and just have the same energy. I like that a lot. Danny, when we've yeah. spoken before you, you've told me your, your hero is Elon Musk. <laughs> He's not my hero. Okay. What is just he? Lately I've been He's a guy you admire, really right? He's yeah, a guy you admire? Just lately I've been admiring him. All right. He's like, In interesting guy to pick. Okay. Okay. So he's, like, a, he's a billionaire. It, right. So is that what you want to be? A billionaire? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I want to be just Cyrus the Great powerful. I just want to be extremely powerful and make a huge impact in the world with my power and not do anything that, never use it for bad, just. Right, you want to have a positive impact. My ambitions but, are very like mythological. <laughs> but, you, but, but, but you want to be wealthy and powerful. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, and when and when you say so does everyone else I feel like well no actually some people don't necessarily want to you know focus their sights on being a billionaire I guess I guess there are some who do but I but yeah but when you say you want to use that for good let's like a for the force of good yeah. you know uh, do, do, yeah. what what does that mean to you what what is having a positive impact on the world what do you what impact do you want to have 
I don't know what it is. So like that is something that I've been thinking of um, as far as like my 10 year goal. Because 10 years ago, what I was thinking of is what I'm doing today musically. Hmm. So like I, it's just the same attitude. Like I'm confident enough that I'll reach that goal. Did you have a 10 year old when you, when you were 14? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Like now, I had like, right, right, okay. Yeah. So that that's, I mean, not a lot of 14 year olds have a 10 year goal. <laughs> so you, so, <laughs> so, so you've achieved. So how often do you re up the, the goal? Do you, do you have a new 10 year goal? Often. I can't uh. waste my time too much on it, but every once in a while I think, okay, look at what I've accomplished. Like now what? I just need that constant stimulation of excelling. I can't imagine myself being 50 years old and just like being retired. Like, I'm going to just keep excelling. Right. So it's bound to happen that I hit, hit like high millions. What's amazing about this is, you know, don't, don't always judge a book by its cover because I mean, to, to look at you, you look like a, a cool guy who's having fun playing his instruments, albeit extremely talented, making these videos, uh, and now finding extremely uh, impressive success in terms of numbers and audience and all that, but we find out that this stuff just doesn't happen. I mean, you, you, you had a ten-year plan when you were it's fourteen. Hard, I love it's, it. I, it's, thank you. It's fascinating it's hard I mean, because to be a musician in twenty twenty, it takes a lot of multitasking and seeing if you got the balls to be able to handle everything and stay consistent at it. The biggest flaw I feel like a musician makes is like they stick to something and I've definitely done this, but they stick to something and then a week goes by and they don't keep at it. Right now, my six month goal is um, to be able to master the skill of releasing a, a, a live video on my YouTube channel every Monday, doing like a live Twitch stream that's completely freestyle, mind you, mm-hmm. using a looper, a bunch of just like preloaded sounds, but just completely live. My tar and sitar keyboard once a week and then release a song every 10 days or every two weeks on a Friday. And, and I feel like, and then TikTok every day and then Instagram every three days. And and how do you, I mean, you know? I guess there's a, there's a million ways you could do it, but how do you monetize that? What's the way that, um, we're on the plan to be the billionaire. <laughs> I'm, just yeah. curi- I'm just curious what, what, cause you don't, you don't really, uh, I mean, you don't so much make albums, right? You put songs, you put right. tracks out there. Right. I guess you get you do big gigs. Per, but. Uh, Persian trap music is not going to make me a billionaire. Uh. I guarantee that. And I'm not ready to stop doing Persian trap music full time until probably I'm like 40. So, like, realistically, like. But being an online, I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have said. I want to. It's my 10 year goal. <laughs> Honestly, my. I won't. I won't hold you to it. When we do the interview ten years from now, yeah. it's like, buddy, uh, listen, you've only made yeah. it halfway to Elon Musk. I'm a little disappointed in you. Uh, yeah. uh, no, I, I, I think you see, like, I just changed my mind now. I do that shit all the time. 
so I changed my mind for a long time about like how I want to do things like, okay, do Instagram videos full time. And I do all these Instagram videos. And then I'm like, oh, I forgot to make music. So then I'm like doing Spotify, just posting stuff on Spotify full time. And then like everyone's forgetting about me on Instagram. And like, I'm finally like starting to get a hang of like trying to handle all of them at once. And it takes a lot of responsibility. You need a good team. You know, you got to wake up early, you know, plan your day, do the calendars, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, I, listen. And, I'll, um, I'll answer the question for you. You have a yeah. huge, you have a huge devoted following already. That the, who are going to follow you through what you do creatively. That's gold. That's your gold. There's no, there's no record company or advertising firm or major you know institution that can manufacture that. You know, they can, yeah. they can, they can dress up a band and put them out there and, you know, advertise the hell out of it. No one can do, can build what you've built organically. And that's your, that's, you know, you can leverage that however you want that, that audience of people all over the world, as we've talked about in this interview, who like what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so are we still okay with the 10 year plan or are you still have, <laughs> cause I think you can let's make say, the billion. You can get there. I mean, let's say, look, let's say a hundred million. Uh-huh. Just off Persian trap music. Okay, a hundred million okay. by when? Two thousand. What day? What? What was it? Two thousand twenty. It's two thousand thirty. Hundred million. Uh, okay. Hands down. All right. Hands down. Hundred million. Hands down. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Look, I look. I'm gonna make if I keep my shit together. If I'm excelling at the rate that I am right now, I think realistically, I can chart ten million. Okay. in within the next two years by the end of like the next two years and if i stay smart with it and confident because confidence is key i think I, I can totally hit 100 million in 10 years i think one at least one million of that can be your best-selling book about confidence <laughs> That will that will do really that will do, no 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 it'll do really well for you. <laughs> How to achieve confidence by Danny Essay. I mean, listen, uh, you uh, here's what you here's the thing. We can joke around about this, but you are extremely yeah. talented, and you're doing so, and you've created something that's different, and so and it's connecting. I've said that from the beginning of the interview. It, 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 no matter what happens from here on in, it, it, yeah. it, it's only up for you. I'm sure of that. You just okay, but so but you being smart. But but being smart is a big part of it. Listen, let me tell you something quick, quick that I've learned from years of doing interviews with musicians and, and being okay. a musician and being a, 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 a producer and a manager and all that. The, the myth, the rock and roll myth, if there was a time, I don't know, in the 70s or something when people could just be doing being doing drugs and and not sleeping and and you know leading extremely unhealthy lifestyles and also becoming huge success stories that doesn't exist anymore unless you're right. um, that that may be the case in some crazy exception but anyone i've, enter, I've interviewed who are the the t at the top level the best bands the, the most successful i should say bands in the world or artists in the world or are all extremely focused, are all ambitious, all usually wake up super early in the morning, you know, keep themselves very healthy. This, and, and I, I'll always remember this, um, being on this tour, uh, we had, it was a three band tour. It was a, it was a really well band known, well known band, a big American band. We were in the middle and there was a, another band and the, the, the band on the, was the opening band was, uh, they were getting drunk every night. 
on the, mm-hmm. on the tour bus and just having the greatest time and whatever. And, uh, and uh, I remember one of the guys from the famous band saying, uh, uh, these guys, th- this is, this has got to be their first tour. And uh, we were like, yeah, yeah, they're not going to last. You know, that's it. They, they think that this is what it's about. And it was true. Like they didn't make it even to the end of the tour. <laughs> you know oh, and, and wow, because yeah. it's it's hard work and and you've got to stay focused you know and it's to really work, yeah. yeah so uh so that's part of the you know all, all of what you've talked about in terms of your ambition and your practice and all of that that is you know that is undermines those myths of just being the the price and this is especially as you know true in sort of hip-hop culture and the, the notion that you're just partying every night and uh, bottle service and whatever you know yeah, yeah. and uh, you, it, you can't do that and be a, a big success i mean you can if that's part of the image for a little while but even then you self-destruct hit him You want me to tell you like what really got me confident though? Yeah. Because there was a transition from being like super insecure and trying to find my passion to being super confident. Yeah. So like my work ethic was becoming like increasingly better throughout the age of 16. I started making a few friends um, and they were starting to show their friends what I'm doing and like their friends were all like everyone was getting like really hyped and everyone's telling me like dude you're talented and i'm like I, I, i'm thinking in my head like i didn't ever want to say it but i'm like i better fucking be i've been in this basement this cold ass basement every night <laughs> and um i was just because that during that time i was starting to get better at machine i'm starting to get better at tar sitar and better at production it was all at the same time, like hand in hand. So I was, so my confidence was starting to get better. I was still really overweight, so I decided to do like this, like it was, it was called Insanity. It was like a workout program, and um, I got really into like, I don't know, somewhat. I mean, mildly into like fitness and health, and like you know, being just totally just like jacked and having like alpha body <laughs> so like i would do like i always had that ambition too and i was like i was just like working out working out working out and i lost like 30 pounds over summer of like junior year and then senior year i came back i was like skinny i plucked my eyebrows you know i learned how to do my hair you know like dressing what i like to dress i felt better and i felt confident enough to be friends with um with these like cheerleader, cheerleader girls like in the beginning of high school and I thought I was like mm-hmm. the kid you know and then like I told myself like dude what if at the end of the year I put together a show <laughs> one year goal yep one year I, it was it was legit <laughs> right uh whatever one school year goal uh-huh. um I put together a show and the entire high school comes if that happens like i'm gonna really establish myself as an artist and it's going to be a great start to a study 
um, because I was ready to, you know, release music. Okay. I was ready to start putting music out and starting a SoundCloud and whatever. And internet fame wasn't really like a thing yet, like making right. videos right. and putting it out. It's and very, very new. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it seemed more important to me to take shows seriously, put together shows myself. So I purposely, like at lunch, would stay close to all these cheerleader girls. So at the end of the year, when I threw together the Asadi show, and I tell them they're going to be so pumped and they're going to tell all their friends. And because the cheerleaders went, I knew the football players would go. Because the football players would go, I knew the lacrosse players would go because the lacrosse players were also were friends with football players. And so on. So I knew the whole high school would come, right? I also put the event together myself at a venue. It was called The Basement in Columbus, Ohio. And I purposely like invited not only bands and artists, but kids that like kind of did music, but like kind of like popular and stuff in my school. Not only I did that on purpose, like to have them in the show, like to perform, like to open for me. Um, I had a few other kids from other high schools come and I said, you know, this might help get other high schools to come too. And my, all my good friends, um, especially my, my friends, Shams, I got to shout her out. She ended up selling like 85 tickets hmm. to my show from her high school because she's been like nonstop talking about me and showing my music to all her friends and shit like in her high school. All the cheerleader girls, the idea, the idea worked. So all of them came, all of their <laughs> friends came. So I, I like at the end of class, I had to like pull out like stacks of money from like all these tickets that I was selling. So I, I myself sold like not 85, but I sold like 50, 60. And quickly all the other bands started selling tickets and they were all like making, selling like 60, 70, 40, 50. Next thing you know, like it added up and it was a, it was a sold out show in the basement. Um, two like, Kids, juniors and seniors from two high schools came. It was a wild night. <laughs> and from then on, I was like, I'm the boss. <laughs> I was like, I run this city. <laughs> I was like 18 years old. I'm like, like so freaking cocky. Like some girl like threw a bra on stage and it was so cringy. But like back then I thought it was so badass and I like, took a photo of that bra and you can like if you scroll down like to the bottom of my instagram you'll still see it like the ticket to my show <laughs> and the bra and i called the show on purpose ptm fest standing for persian child music okay uh, so like when you hear my songs like you hear the word ptm here and there and like that's what got people from like that's what started like people started talking about me and i remember like i would i would go to like <laughs> i would go to like a skate park or something like just go skateboarding there with some friends or whatever. And there'd be like people in the skateboard like, are you Danny Asadi? Like, like I'm like some sort of like celebrity. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was so happy, man. And that's when, that's what really started for me. I was like, I am not giving up on this shit. All this hard work, all this like quote unquote first world problem suffering finally paid off. And I'm going to, I'm going to stick to it, man. So good for you. Man. That's my story. <laughs> good, for you. good for you. First of all, yeah. 
First and then all. we threw a second one oh, oh. because everyone wanted a second one. And then 700 people came. The same year? Or, the, or, or this was the that s- same summer. Okay. Yeah, 785 right. people came to a, to a bigger venue. First of all, I want to yeah. negotiate the screenplay rights to that. Uh, the, the story <laughs> of the kid who plucks his eyebrows, manipulates the, the cheerleaders into come, bringing people to his show. I mean, there's a, yeah. uh, and successfully gets uh, makes it. A, but uh, but yeah, but, <laughs> it's like a Disney Channel movie. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> but but second of all, I mean, this is uh, when you hit the ten year. Well, by 2030, the hundred million. You've got to do yeah. a you've got to do a special charity show back at the basement. That's part of the story, right? The story is you go back to the place. Shoot, you're right. So you got to go back there, and th- by that time you're like Kanye. You're like you're like a household name, but <laughs> but you're but you know he's coming back to play at the basement where it all started. You know you have to do that. Totally. Yeah. You're right. So let me just ask you, um, you mentioned a little earlier, you were talking about uh, how one of the reasons people in Iran know that you're Iranian is because of some of the artists you've worked with. You mentioned Erfan. There's that song, mm-hmm. Marjan Gare, which I'm a huge fan of that you did with Erfan and yeah. Hamed Nikpay. So tell me how mm-hmm. something like that comes together. Erfan, when I first met him, I had such a different impression of him because normally rappers are like, kind of hard to talk to yeah and he was so professional like he was such a zen like professional guy i really liked his energy yeah so like he was acting like like the way he talks is he is like he's like a honar man like 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 a proper musician like very professional which he is i go to hamid's house he is he's he's a yeah he's a monster he's great writer great musician yeah yeah and i went to hamid's house (laughs) as soon as i opened the door to his house he goes Danny Asadi, handsome boy, come on in. Dude's like smoking hookah and stuff. So badass. He's got like a Harley outside. He's just this yeah. rock star, man. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, whoa, you know, I really like his style. So that was really funny. And then I showed him this idea. So basically there's this movie called Shida Sang. It's, a, it's like a Bakhtiari movie. And this guy uh, recorded this song for the movie for that movie and that's Marjange. So I showed him, um, I was so in love with that um, that song. Yeah. So I showed that to him, I said, look, these Bakhtiaris have this beautiful melody and and this sample is, is just awesome. And maybe you could sing it instead. And Hamid was like, bet, like he just wanted to do it. So he got on the yeah. mic, he recorded that and I went home and I just started really just working on it, working on it, working on it, working on it. And then um, then I created Airfon's verse. I showed it to Airfon. We went to the studio. He's I told him how to sing it. So I was like, Airfon, do this. Like, I was like, fill that in with lyrics. He was like, hell yeah. So you fill it in with lyrics, fire. Jangan 
And then I said, how about this part? We'll like, you know, we'll sing the same thing, but it's like a crowd and, and we'll make it harder and then you can rap again. Right so it's just kind of like, you know, I'm a big fan of this yeah. song and I had no idea that you put it all together. It's uh, that, that it's, it's great. Where do, what about Thanks. the dogs? Who's, whose dogs are those? <laughs> I found that online. I just put it in. There. Oh, yeah. you ruined it! I had this impression of these dogs somewhere in the in the room. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I just thought it'd be cool to put a bark in it for some reason. Uh, Danny, yeah. it is. Uh, it's been such a pleasure. It is. Yeah, Thanks, well, I, I should say, Danny, Danny, CD, Boy Wonder. <laughs> That's what I should say. Uh, it Thanks, is. Uh, yeah. It's been a. It's been a joy, and. Um, uh, thank you for sharing uh, some of these of stories. Thank you for your time, and um, yeah. I can't wait to see what happens next with you, man. But I'm I'm so excited about the music you make. Thanks, man. I love the I love your um, I love what you're doing, by the way, with Rook, and I'm very uh, grateful to be speaking with you. I look forward to what the future holds for you as well. Thank you, brother. We'll talk again soon. Be safe, and uh, we'll be we'll be peddling your music out there. All right, man. I'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Musician, performer, Persian trap music pioneer, Danny Asadi. We'll put a link to his platforms in the descriptor of whatever platform you are listening to us on right now. Danny Asadi joined us from L.A. today. This is Full Time for Rook. Thanks to the amazing team working on this show. Thanks to those of you out there who are spreading the word about this program. Let's go out on a new track from Asadi and Sublab just dropped last week. I'm Gian. See you Thursday with another new episode. Mizun Bashim. <laughs> <laughs>